Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. This is a very special podcast, not only because it's the end of this year, 2015, and almost the beginning of a new one, but because the sermon you're going to hear today is a perfect end-of-the-year sermon. And it is by a voice that was known to millions of radio listeners in the middle part of the century, Walter A. Meyer, who was the founding speaker on the Lutheran Hour. Now, to introduce this sermon, we usually have my colleague, Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. We've given him a week off. And I've invited Dr. Carl Beckwith, who teaches history and doctrine at Beeson Divinity School, and who himself is not only a distinguished church historian, but also an ordained pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, to which Walter A. Meyer belonged. So welcome, Dr. Beckwith, to this podcast. Thank you for having me. Now tell us, who is Walter A. Meyer? Walter A. Meyer is arguably the most significant or at least well-known Lutheran theologian in the 20th century mm. in that more people heard him teach and proclaim the gospel than any other Lutheran that I can think of. He was this outstanding radio host of the Lutheran Hour uh, from 1930 into, I think it was 1950. Mm-hmm. He was a professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary. Uh, he was he was highly distinguished, very learned individual. He uh, he went to Harvard Divinity School, received his PhD in Semitics, um, but was always very passionate about serving the church. Mm. Uh, first and foremost, as a pastor, preaching the gospel, and he found as many ways as he could in his day with the technology available to him to reach as many people with the gospel as he could. So he was a pioneer in radio broadcasting at a time when there were very few solid Orthodox Christian voices. In fact, there was a prohibition, really, a, a boycott against those kind of voices. Dr. Meyer on the Lutheran Hour was an exception to that, and Dr. Charles E. Fuller from what became Fuller Seminary, the Old Fashioned Gospel Hour, those were the two voices that represented a more solid Orthodox voice on the radio in those days. It was very difficult. Yeah. If the listeners haven't heard a sermon by Walter A. Meyer, this sermon in particular will give you a good sample of his his approach, his earnestness, how gripping his oratory is. Yeah. You will just be drawn into the sermon. And really, I think it's a great testament to a sermon is when you are surprised when it's over, at how long the sermon was. Yeah. You're just, you're taken up with every moment of it. And Walter A. Meyer had this incredible ability to do that. Uh, and his voice just resounded, not only in the United States, but toward the end of his time as the Lutheran Hour speaker throughout Europe and South mm. America and yeah. Africa, across the world, Walter A. Meyer was preaching Jesus and the salvation we have in him. 
20 million listeners on hundreds of radio stations, which was phenomenal at the time. He was born in 1893. He died in 1950, two days after I was born, Hmm. January the 11th, 1950. And when he died, Billy Graham, who at that time was not as famous as he later became, issued a statement of appreciation for Walter A. Meyer and in some ways I think saw himself as continuing uh, a strong voice for Christ on the radio. Well, this sermon we're going to listen to was titled, A Changeless Christ for a Changing World. It was preached just after Christmas in 1937. Think about what's happening in the world in 1937, two years before the beginning of World War II. And it still speaks today in our own very fragile world about the power of the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So listen to Dr. Walter A. Meyer from 1937, The Lutheran Hour. Today we write the last of the 52 weekly chapters in the current volume of our lives. We find ourselves in the last week of a year which 12 months ago seemed to lose itself in a broad and distant future. Joyous yet earnest is the note that this concluding week strikes, coming upon us as it does in the afterglow of Christmas, yet reminding us as it should that we are all the lusty, healthy, happy, the children and the aged, bowed down under the heavier load of time a year closer to eternity. If ever we need anything to emphasize the colorful picture of Scripture, when it sketches the one life that you and I have to live as a rushing wind, momentary foam upon the waters, a tale swiftly told, grass and flowers that grow up in the morning but that wither and are cut down in the evening, the weaver's thread that is quickly snapped, If ever we are inclined to think that the writers of the Bible speak darkly and see black when they ask, What is your life? and answer, It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Stop to measure the length of the twelve months now closing, and you will agree that life at its longest is just a flicker in the ages. Add to this distressing thought of times swift-winged flight, the further realization that our existence at its surest is uncertainty itself, that as the close of every year shortens your span of life but lengthens its shadow, so the past twelve months have wrought deep groove changes in many hearts, printed the stamp of death and decay on many lives, and wrought drastic changes in many homes. Some of you listeners who last January greeted the new year with carefree laughter and high hopes have since been flung on your knees in grief. For others, the days which came and went have touched the quick of your souls with piercing sorrows. I know, for your letters pour out the overflowing measure of grief, that some of you compute your losses in terms of broken hearts, broken health, broken limbs, in the liabilities of shattered fortunes, crashed hopes, severed friendships, and a hundred other crushing reverses that present themselves when, at the close of a year, we take annual inventory of our joys and sorrows. I know, on the other hand, 
that for thousands of you the past months have built a year of outstanding gain and notable blessing. Yet even you, the richly endowed, who have never known what it means to be cold or hungry or unemployed or destitute, will agree that in your complicated life nothing is secure, nothing immovable, nothing certain. Our generation, which has been torn by race war, labor war, trade war, crime war, civil war, world war, and though staggering on the edge of international bankruptcy, bleeding from a thousand unstaunched wounds, finances a new war, this groggy, blood-drunk age is sowing seeds from which we may yet reap a harvest of ruin greater than we have ever known. One need not be a prophet to discern the flares of perilous trends and impending dangers. Trade experts, statisticians, and analysts have issued repeated warnings. One need not be an historian, a sociologist, an expert in economics to understand that our age, far from having solved the problems that the last 25 years have intensified, is marked by uncertainty and instability. But you do need Christian faith, the implicit trust in the Bible from cover to cover, and in Jesus from Bethlehem to Calvary in the open grave. You must have that Christ-centered trust to find soul security for this insecure hour, spiritual certainty for an uncertain world. In the last broadcast of this year of grace, then, and somewhat in summary of every message that I have ever been privileged to bring you in the past, I propose to exalt the changeless Christ for a changing world. Still lingering in the warmth and light of Christmas, and the Savior's birthday is charged with too much heavenly radiance to be dismissed with one hasty, hurry day. Still under the spell of the nativity grace, unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let us, as we bid farewell to this year, with the Spirit's help, take faith, hope, and love from that majestic exclamation in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Thank God that as this year tapers into history, we can rise sheer above our changing world and believe with unswerving conviction that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, never changes his love, shades his compassion, nor alters his grace. Behold the highest devotion that the race knows, the love that centers in the home, and as you witness the hardest and most hopeless of human tragedies, children spurning their parents, parents hating their children, husbands untrue to their wives, wives neglectful of their husbands, you will realize that human affection is often frail and inconsistent, disloyal and traitorous. Take the truest love that moves our hearts, and even in its purest form it is subject to change. A child trustfully embraces its parents and gives the devotion of its little heart to these dearly beloved guardians and protectors. But as childhood grows into youth and manhood emerges from youth, that love is shaped and so that it is shared by a helpmate as it is ordained that a man shall live with his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And again, when a bride and groom kneel before God in that sacred moment when they pledge themselves to love and honor each other until death do them part, 
It seems that outside of their devotion to Christ, their affections will continually and exclusively remain focused on each other. Again, however, in the mysterious cycle of life they receive, as a heritage from God on high, a child, which from the day of its birth lays happy claim to a large share of their affections. Even the most self-sacrificing love which the parents show to that child finally changes when death intervenes to paralyze all human emotions. Many of you, during the 12 months now closing, have bidden a numb, aching farewell to the lifeless remains of a loving father or mother or wept over the sudden death of an only child. You know better than I can tell you how quickly an endeared voice may be silenced forever, how suddenly the caress of a beloved hand may give way to the cold rigor of death. Surrounded by this change and decay, Christ comes to us as the year closes with a message of unchanging hope. Pay undivided attention to it, you who have trusted your friends and now know that they have betrayed you. Hearken carefully to each word, you who have built your confidence on health and it failed, on your money and it disappeared, on your own ingenuity, and it left you the victims of your own folly. Listen closely, you the distracted of life, dissatisfied with yourselves and your fellow men, bewildered by your lack of peace in mind and soul. If you are caught by the undertow of life and want a high and mighty rock to which you can cling midst all turbulent tides, here it is in Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. If in that greatest of yesterdays, the first Christmas, he was born for us, if in the blackest of yesterdays, He, all-merciful, all-gracious, all-compassionate Savior, loved his own unto the end, and in that final terror and deepest darkness offered his own poor, beaten body for the sins of all the world and its races, for all the crimes of all humanity and its ages, then believe that he whose mercy endureth forever and who assures you, I change not, looks upon you with the same intensity of his love that 19 centuries ago brought him to the cross. In his name I beseech you, if there is anything in your life that keeps you from Christ, ask God before this year closes for the strength required to tear it out forever. Jenny Lynn, the gifted soprano, whose voice enchanted Europe and America, and who never sang her selection from Handel's Messiah, the gem of oratorios which many of you have heard during these holiday seasons. Without praying that God would bless her song testimony to Christ in the heart of someone in her audience, retired from the concert stage at the height of her success, and when in the seclusion of her home near the English shore, a friend sought an explanation for her abandoning the stage, the Swedish nightingale thoughtfully replied, pointing to the Bible, when every day made me think less of this, what else could I do? If you want Christ and with him the forgiveness of your sins, heavenly counsel in all your problems, his light of love in all the darkness of hatred, his burden-lifting companionship on the roughest of life's roads, what else can you do, what else dare you do, than pull down the pride and haughtiness of your life, tear out the claims of self-righteousness, break off the treacherous relationships that keep you in sin, and then push your way through to your Savior, 
fall before him with a heart convicted of great sin, but a soul assured of even greater grace. As you confess, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The mercy of Christ, renewed with each day, will repeat the promise of his word that neither age nor fire nor sword nor life nor death can change or suspend, restrict or modify. Thy sins are forgiven, thy faith hath saved thee. Jesus Christ, the same self-giving Savior yesterday, the same loving Redeemer today, the same sin-removing atonement tomorrow, yes, forever. Can you think of a greater God and a deeper love than our Heavenly Father and His holy compassion in giving His own Son the sinless for the sin-stained, the ever-living for the justly damned? Can you picture a more glorious Savior than the Christ who thanked his Father for the privilege of redeeming the world and who, in his unchanged love, still intercedes for the sinner, the Christ for every man and every day and every place, the Christ for the sickbed and the deathbed, yet the Christ for the health and the strength of life, the Redeemer of the deserted and the destitute, yet the ransom for the applauded and the acclaimed. Can you or anyone else construct a better faith than the changeless gospel that has never put a price on its promises or demanded payment for its blessings. But someone objects, we need more than love. We need the power which puts this love into blessed operation. No one doubts the affection of a mother who moans over her dying child, but that devotion will not keep the little one alive. There must be power. And thank God our glorious Savior the same yesterday and today and forever offers us not only his unchanging mercy, but also his enduring power. The closing scenes of the year have impressed upon our minds the truth that while human authority rises only ultimately to fall, and while earthly rule increases only finally to decay, all power in heaven and in earth still belongs to the unchangeable, eternally triumphant Redeemer and ransom of our souls. Every other force that influences one may fluctuate. Our age has witnessed the limitation of brain power, the swift and sudden collapse of money power, the repeated debacle of military power, and seen all this more intimately than any other generation. Yet we still see the cross of Christ towering o'er the wrecks of time, if the enemies of the Savior in the past of all history have been hurled to destruction and have confessed defeat, as did Julian the Apostate, who in his dying moments is said to have thrown some of his own lifeblood toward the sky and screamed, O Galilean, thou hast conquered. If today Christ is crowned Lord of Lords and King of Kings in his triumph over the rebellious uprising of a hundred antichrists, then for tomorrow... Let all the forces that hate his cross and reject his atoning blood mobilize for a common onslaught. Let them reinforce their ranks a thousand times, increase their number ten thousand times, multiply their power a million times. And as each morning the sun rises in its irresistible splendor over the retreating shadows of night, so Christ, our Son of Righteousness, will blaze forth in his glory to scatter the legions of unbelief into perpetual flight. It may seem, of course, as we view the past year, 
from the consequences of sin with godlessness enthroned and crime nourished on the fat of the land, that Christ's power has been changed and his supremacy restricted. Ah, but God moves in mysterious ways to his victory and at unexpected times and at unforeseen places. Infidels too numerous to mention have officially declared Christ dead and have sung a satirical dirge over his demise. But Christ was never more alive and his power never more decisive than today. In the early church, under the reign of a deadly Diocletian, a building filled with hundreds of Christian worshipers gathered to commemorate the Christmas miracle was set on fire and every Christian was burned alive. But before long, the cross triumphed over the imperial crown of Rome. On Christmas Eve, atheists gathered in large cities throughout the world to desecrate the happy festival with obscene caricature and vulgar rites. And this iniquity will swell into more vicious attacks in the future. But take courage. Can a termite pull down Mount Everest? Can a butterfly hold back a hurricane? Can the spawn say to the swelling tides, so far and no farther? If ever you doubt Christ's power over obstinate, self-willed, Christ-denying men, you can gain a clearer understanding when with the psalmist you contemplate their end. Though the enemies of Christ may fare sumptuously and be clothed in purple and fine linen, the unavoidable reckoning always awaits them, and as thousands of Christian pastors can testify, makes quaking, gibbering cowards of men who prided themselves on their independence of God. Perhaps many of you who were Christ now stand baffled by the unshared burdens and the unrelieved sorrows that came with the past year. You cry out in protest, Christ has not helped me. My prayers are unanswered. My trust has been misplaced. The power of heaven is broken. But will you measure God with a yardstick of twelve short months when a thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday when it is past? Will you dictate to God and say that he must answer your selfish prayers, that he must help you here now and in this way? Would you pluck the green fruit before it ripens in the orchard of God's grace? Or believe with all your souls that if in the past Christ's miraculous power fed the hungry, cheered the destitute, healed the sick, and strengthened wavering lives, he is the same today, and that if it be in accord with our soul's salvation, he will invoke the resources of his omnipotence to guide, guard, and protect you in his own better way, to his own happier purpose. If your own personal problems you find that there are difficulties, then remember that the unchanging faith will still carry out its purpose. If you trust Christ for your soul and body and believe him when he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, in the uncertain tomorrow with its hidden joys and unveiled sorrows, his power will bring the same evidence of his merciful compassion. Or will you not stand with me as another year goes on into eternity? and prepare a book in which the record of your life for the past days will be commemorated with this inscription, Heavenly Father, on these 365 pages is recorded the evidence of my trust and mistrust. I thank thee for the grace that has bestowed my blessings, 
But in Jesus' name, I plead for forgiveness whenever the record has been disfigured, as it often has been, betraying my inborn weakness and traitorous disloyalties. And it is with the resolve that thy spirit helping me, I lay aside the volume of this year to start a fresh record for the coming year, confident that whatever may befall me, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, will redeem me with his unchanging love and strengthen me by his unchanging power. As the book of this year closes, hear me for his sake, who can save to the uttermost, even Jesus the Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.